This is Transit Unplugged, and I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And welcome to Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story of what's happening in and around the transit industry worldwide. What a great show we have for you today on our podcast. Uh, we've got headline news. We're going to be focusing on uh, the new mask mandate here in the U.S., plus some other issues around the world on transit. Then we do an in-depth interview with Matt Wood, Chief Operating Officer of National Express Transit. We talk about the rise of microtransit as a trend coming out of COVID. And then we take a look at um, how transit can adapt in 2021 by taking a look at the article that I wrote for this week's Mass Transit Magazine, this first week of February, 2021. Well, there's been a lot of news coming out around the world with public transportation as transit agencies are attempting to get people back on the bus, like back on the train and continue to provide the economic engine that drives our economies. Interesting news from South Korea, where the president there has announced that uh, changes will take place by 2029. They plan to replace all their diesel trains with carbon-free locomotives. The nation will invest about $65 billion US by 2025 to build high-speed railways, railroad networks, and accelerate railway projects in major cities. It's pretty big news. Here in the U.S., there's big news. In Washington, D.C., there's been a back and forth on COVID relief. Uh, President Biden's package includes about $20 billion additional for public transit agencies. Ten Republican senators have come up with a package that they're proposing much less, about $600 billion versus the $1.9 trillion of Biden's plan. But the $600 billion does not include money for transit systems. And the other big news coming out this week that affects uh, most transit agencies uh, across the U.S., all of them actually, is that uh, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, published an order late Friday night last week outlining that masks will be required for people inside transportation hubs as well as on public conveyances such as airplanes, ferries, trains, buses, taxis, and ride shares. The order applies to both passengers and employees and it went into effect on February 1st. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said, America's transportation systems are essential, given how interconnected most transportation systems are across our nation and the world. When infected persons travel on public conveyances without wearing a mask and with others who are not wearing masks, the risk of interstate and international transmissions can grow quickly, she said, unquote. CDC issued guidance last year that strongly encouraged the wearing of masks and um, but now they've uh, made it mandatory. Many transit agencies across the U.S. have had rules in place requiring the use of masks. Additionally, agencies have handed out free masks, installed mask dispensers and buses, implemented communications with riders about the requirement to wear masks, and um, continue to push that people should wear them. The MTA in New York uh, reported that they recently did a survey and found that mask usage was at 97% among subway riders and 99% among bus riders. Uh, and similar other transit agencies have done surveys in places like Philadelphia and San Francisco. Again, 90 to 95% or higher, they're reporting people are wearing their masks. Uh, shortly after taking office, just recently you saw that President Joe Biden here in the U.S. signed an executive order requiring mask usage on travel modes. The CDC order is in support of this action and will, will remain in effect until the Secretary of Health and Human Services rescinds the public health emergency. So this one is not tied to 100 days, as was uh, the promise on the executive order. This will stay in place until there is a rescinding of the public health emergency here in the U.S. 
And as far as enforcement of the order is concerned, the CDC notes that it reserves the right to enforce the order through criminal penalties, but does not intend to use these penalties as a primary means of enforcement. Instead, the CDC, they say, will promote voluntary compliance. A quote, CDC recommends that non-essential travel be avoided. However, for those who must travel, additional measures must are being put in place to help prevent the spread of the virus. Also, just FYI, starting this week as well, the Transportation Security Administration has issued a security directive and it require all individuals to wear a mask at TSA airport screening checkpoints and throughout the commercial and public transportation systems. And this requirement does have a deadline right now. The requirement will remain in effect until May 11th of 2021. So mask mandate nationally mandated by the Centers for Disease Control here in the US in place now for people riding transit and for employees. That's it for the headline news stories today. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview with Matt Wood. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Most public transit agencies use at least one social media platform. But if your agency's staff and time resources are stretched thin, I can imagine you struggling to understand which platforms might be best for which kinds of communications programs and messaging. In this and the next three messaging minutes, I'm going to review the top social media platforms for transit and how to get the most out of them. Let's start with the giant of them all, Facebook. Facebook has more than two and a half billion users worldwide. According to Hootsuite, which is one of those handy tools that helps you optimize social media, more than half of Americans say Facebook is the platform they use most often, with three quarters of Americans between the ages of 35 and 54 holding accounts. Facebook is all about storytelling. It's your best bet for updating your audience on major, permanent, or extended service changes, alerting them to community meetings or events, celebrating holidays and announcing holiday closures and service changes well in advance, and creating special groups around a topic or an issue of interest. It's less useful for last-minute urgent service updates. If you'd like to talk more about Facebook, social media optimization, or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another episode of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the public transit industry. And today on our Newsmaker Hotline is Matt Wood, Chief Operating Officer of National Express. Thanks for being with us today, Matt. Thank you, Paul. It's a, it's yeah. a pleasure to be on your program. Thank you. Where, where, where do we connect with you at today? Uh, today, I'm in balmy Miami, Florida. It's, uh, uh, it's a toasty 75 degrees, yes. Oh, very nice. I'm a little jealous, I have to say. I'm up here in Maryland where it's not quite that warm. <laughs> oh, boy. About 40 yeah. degrees. Uh, uh, well, you're, you're welcome to come down and visit anytime. I want to come down there in March, actually, and do, do a road trip, come down and see some of, our, uh, some of our friends down there. But anyway, great to have you with us, Matt. You and I uh, have a history. We go back years and years for different companies we work for. And, 
and uh, and now you've made it to the top. I love it when one of the BD guys makes it to the top, and now you're running one of the big companies, National Express. It is. It's great. It's been a great ride, Paul. Uh, I've had a great career, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of the National Express family, um, and uh, the role I have is, is a tremendous role, and, and uh, we're doing great things with National Express, so it's uh, it's it's been a great journey. That's wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit about National Express. I mean, I know a lot about it, but some of our listeners have heard the name probably, but aren't familiar with it. You know, it's a British company and all that kind of stuff. Or just give us what you can, a little bit of background on the company, what you're doing here in North America. Thanks, Paul. National Express, uh, as you know, is a global company. Um, Across the world, we employ almost 50,000 employees. Here in the U.S., we have over 5,000 transit employees, but many more uh, school bus folks and employees that work for us on the school bus side. We have 30 customer contracts, transit contracts here in the US. Um, We uh, run 700 million miles annually on a global basis and 900 million trips annually on a global basis. We're doing about 22 million trips here in the US. Our fleet size uh, is about 37,000 vehicle assets. Uh, So it's, it's a pretty large fleet. Yeah, you guys are one of the big school bus companies right here in America? We are. We're one of the largest school bus companies here in America. Um, it started with our Durham, our acquisition of Durham School Bus Services, and uh, we continue to grow. Um, and so we're growing in, in both both school bus and in public transit, and it's uh, it's been an exciting journey. I know you guys uh, are now working with a really good friend of mine, um, Robbie, who used to own Diamond Transportation in Northern Virginia. And, uh, and you guys now have acquired that company and integrated him right in, and he loves working for you guys. Yeah, well, Robbie's a great guy, and you know I've been friends with Robbie for over twenty years, and uh, I was real happy when we were able to acquire Diamond Transportation. It's proven to be a great operation for us. Um, Robbie and I have worked on other projects over the years, and and he's a great guy. So yeah, yeah, he he and I go back probably twenty twenty five years as well, because he's in Northern Virginia and I'm in Maryland, and we did some work together, and and uh, I mean. That's the kind of quality I think that your company represents. Uh, companies like his that have that you know are part of your family now. So that's wonderful. Tell us about yourself some. Uh, I I mentioned that you've had a long career in the business. You've worked for a number of these companies, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, I started back in 1995 when paratransit was fairly new. I worked for a company, a small company called Comsys Mobility Services. Uh, I remember that. We have you okay. Yeah, so remember, you, you remember the Comsys. Um, well, their, their model, which was um, an innovative model at the time, was to broker trips from multiple funding sources, um, and including Medicaid and other sources, and maximize the funding to provide as many trips as possible. So um, I worked as a scheduler and in various operation positions uh, with Comsys. Um, I then left and was recruited by Ryder ATE at the time. Um, I worked in the, as the assistant general manager and uh, operations manager at, at the New York City paratransit operation. So uh, I'll tell you, for a young 20-year-old guy, that was a, a, an adult dose uh, working in New York City. Uh, we were scheduling about 22,000 trips a day, um, and it was, a, it was a great, great experience to be in New York City. Um, so it, from there, I... Uh, I um, was with Rider ATE through the acquisition uh, by First Group. Um, and uh, I worked as the, the vice president of, uh, at the time, our Medicaid and call center business, uh, where we did a lot of brokering of Medicaid trips. Uh, I then did some business development for First Group, and then ultimately became the senior vice president for the East Region, 
um, where we had uh, actually our contract uh, with you with the MTA paratransit um, in, in WMATA. Um, so from, from first group, I, I moved over to Transdev for a few years and worked under our, our good friend, Dick Alexander, who um, uh, I'll tell you, this has been one of his major accomplishments in my mind is starting the NADA group. And, and yeah. I'm happy to have him do that um, and, and uh, to include us. And then, um, and here I am at National Express as COO, and I've been here three years. So, um, and, and over the three years that I've been here, we were one of the fastest growing uh, transit companies uh, across the nation. That's great. So you've, you've done a tour like I have of at least three of the providers. So yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. It's I been great. Flower, and, uh, Ball, which was a predecessor to first, remember, and then yellow right. was a predecessor to uh, Veolia, which became Transdev and then MV. So both you and I have covered, I think the full mix of the big six. <laughs> Just right. Yeah. It, it, it is an interesting uh, industry and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, my, my father was a bus driver and started out with the Rhode Island public transit and wow. he actually, yeah, he, he actually did some, some time um, with uh, ATC Vancom in the private industry. Terry, Terry Vanderay. Yeah. 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 So we, we had some reverse nepotism in that side, but it, uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, well, I mean, in my blood. Yeah, you, you, I mean, this may be a good time to just mention it. You've mentioned NADA, the North American Transit Alliance. Yes. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. You're, you're on the board of that group. I work with them some too. So tell us about the organization. Sure. The North American Transit Alliance uh, is a uh, advocacy group that, uh, whose members include uh, six of the, the major transit contractors in the U.S., um, National Express, MV, uh, Keolis, First Transit, um, and uh, RATP Dev, um, and uh, uh, you know some of our prime, uh, some of our primary goals, um, you know, really include advocating for continued funding for transit contracting and for our transit agencies and our customers, particularly during this time, the COVID uh, period, where. Uh, funding has been challenged and, and the revenue streams have been challenged. And then we've been very effective in, in the, the COVID bills that have been passed, including language that allow, enables the transit agencies to uh, pay for um, protective gear for our employees, which is, of course, most important, and continue revenue service um, where they may not have other, otherwise been able to afford to. So uh, we've accomplished some great things, and I think we have some even greater things to accomplish in the future. But uh, it's really encouraging uh, for us to get together more than just competitors and say, okay, how can we benefit the industry uh, and provide more value um, by, uh, you know, encouraging more transit contracting and, and providing the flexibility and, and the um, providing flexibility in, in the things that we do for the customers. That's great. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, all the airlines are competitors, but they have the airline association and right. they want to better the industry. And that's kind of the way I view NADA to do it. And, and you guys have done a tremendous job so far. And like you said, I think there's many great things to come. And one of the things I think that is to come for groups like NADA and companies like yours is uh, working with the public sector agencies. You know, I used to be the CEO of one of the big transit agencies here in the country to help them be kind of more flexible. I mean, right now coming out of COVID, um, really, I think a lot of transit agencies are analyzing what I call pushing the reboot button and saying, 
you know, maybe we need to analyze our service models. Uh, as, as my good friend Lawrence Skyver says, we need to stop selling what people aren't buying. And, uh, right. and it, like commuter buses and commuter trains are still way down on their ridership. And so people are looking at, you know, maybe not just the peak times of the day, AM and PM running those trains into the city, maybe try a night route or a weekend route and see if you can pick up traffic that way going into the nightlife or ball games. What else are you seeing, Matt, you know, running these services for some of these transit agencies? How are they adapting to the new environment here in COVID and maybe hopefully coming out of it? Well, that's a great point, Paul. I, I think it, you know, this, it, it takes a very creative vision in, in, at this point of our industry and uh, in, in, in this point in COVID. Uh, we do need to think outside of the box on how we restructure uh, transit services in, in many different locations. Um, you know, the, the choice ridership uh, is, is a continued focus, uh, but how do we bring that back? Um, and how do we bring back the base ridership? Um, but even in the meantime, what does the service look like under the, the funding constraints? And one of the things that we've been very successful with at National Express is our microtransit project, NextConnect. Um, several of our clients have elected to um, take on NextConnect, implement it into their service, and effectively modify their service structure to include a microtransit platform, uh, which would uh, replace some of the less productive uh, fixed route services. So they're actually providing more services at a lower cost um, and with less deadhead. And of course, microtransit is more direct with the demand response type model um, so that we're not just running up and down the street with a 40 foot bus with no one in it. We, we have um, rapid response microtransit uh, sort of spoke and, and hub type service to bring, uh, to bring as much value as we can to the customer and, and with, with, with the limited funding that we have. Do they book a trip like on an app or something like that? They do, yep. We have, um, you know, I think we, we apply it in, in different ways depending on the, the, um, the specifics of the operation or the uniqueness of a particular operation and geography. But basically it comes down to booking a trip on an app um, a, a shuttle or a paratransit van typically will pick up a passenger. Uh, in some cases, the passenger is transported to a major hub or transit hub, um, but in other cases, it, it becomes almost a paratransit trip, um, but without the, um, the criteria of having a disability. So we can transport you from, from point A to point B, and uh, you'd be surprised that in many cases, that's a lot more productive than running uh, the yeah. typical 40-foot bus down the street. And it's been very successful for us and for our customers where we've implemented it. Um, and we're, we're having uh, a lot of success with that now. I think it's actually one of the very top trends happening. We just did a show with Joshua Shank on Comfort's Corner uh, two episodes ago. He's the uh, chief innovation officer at LA Metro. And they're, they're doing the largest microtransit uh, micro project in the country with 200 vehicles. Our friend uh, Robbie Mackinnon, you know, has had this ride KC Freedom in Kansas City for the last year or two. And uh, basically, like you said, it's almost like paratransit, but for, you know, not for just people with what he calls diverse abilities. Um, right. And uh, so right now coming out of COVID, I mean, there's lots of things changing. Right. And so you've got you've got to adapt the model to where the people are, I think. And so that's wonderful. Uh, what else are you guys doing in the wake of COVID? Are you is there anything else happening for your company or what trends you're seeing? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I don't think we can talk about COVID without talking about the safety of our employees. Um, yeah. And that's number one on our list is protecting our employees, our passengers, 
and the, the, the individuals within the communities in which we serve. So we've, we've been on the forefront um, with um, coordinating with CDC and other federal agencies to make sure that we're providing the latest employee protection and COVID sanitization and, and so forth to make sure that, that our, our passengers and employees are safe. Uh, but in addition to that, um, we've started a major campaign of reinvesting in our employees. Now we, we've always done that as a priority, but um, the return on investment, when we take the time to develop our existing talent and our existing employees is very high. Um, you know, I think, I think anyone, everyone would agree that, um, you know, to, to develop internally and promote from within um, is really the preferred method. It, it improves morale. Um, it provides opportunity uh, for new talent to end it, to enter our industry. Um, you know, I think when you look at our industry, uh, you know, I'll, I consider myself an old timer, been in, around since 95, but it's not, it's not the top 10 uh, pick on your college uh, major uh, right. when, you, when you go into school to study transit. So it's important for us as leaders to develop our existing talent and infuse that within our company, but also within the industry. Um, and we need new fresh talent and, and to take our place, Paul, when ultimately uh, we decide to, uh, to, to move on and retire. And hopefully that's many years from now, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that, so you're reinvesting in your employees and kind of giving them career paths up. You've got a program doing that. Yes, yep. And uh, it, it's something that's at the forefront of our, our company. And, and also, you know, that ties into delivering customer excellence. Um, you know, we, we're driving a customer excellence program where we're looking at all our operational metrics, including our talent and uh, assessing our talent, uh, performing uh, metrics on our maintenance capabilities and, and how to be more efficient and, and proactive there. So it's really a, a global uh, look at, at the way we do business, but at the forefront, it's talent development, uh, safety, it's diversification of our workforce from the bottom up. Um, and uh, we're, we're in really in an exciting time right now with the company. Wonderful. Well, one last thing I want to ask you about, and that is, again, kind of this is all circling around COVID and coming out of COVID, is the flexibility that's required uh, for public transit. I mean, we've seen a number of articles, you know, in major magazines and newspapers talking about how transit agencies are talking about cutting big chunks of their routes because they don't have the funding. They're fixed routes. These are routes, you know, like I used to, I remember when we did Baltimore, Lincoln, Baltimore, changing a route from one street block to a different street block was like, you know, like uh, it was a major deal and you got a lot of people upset. Can you right. imagine cutting routes completely that have been in place for years and years and people have relied on them? I yes. mean, what can the private industry do? How can they help public transit agencies at a time like this? Well, I, I, you know, and I think that's that's one of the major benefits of private contracting. Of course, I'm biased because that's been my my most of my career. Yeah. But um, we 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 provide the flexibility uh, and the creativity and innovation um, that that can help the private agency sort of see the, the the trees through the forest and help them navigate through that and provide solutions that they may not have thought of or are unable to access for whatever reason. Uh, we can remove that obstacle and we can be much more flexible and bring it to market much faster. Um, and we, we've done that with microtransit um, where, you know, some of those agencies where we've, we've brought microtransit in, uh, they, they've heard about it. You know, it's, it's an industry buzzword, but they weren't really looking into how to implement it 
Well, we get it up and running within 30, 60 days. And I think uh, private contracting can bring that value. The, the innovation, uh, the flexibility with uh, putting new uh, services and products in, uh, in, in a faster pace. Um, and as long as we know what the, the customer requests and requirements are. Yeah. Well, I think that's more important now than ever, actually, the flexibility, especially as people start figuring out what their new normal is going to be, right? right correct. A lot of, a lot of uh, professional workers probably aren't going to go back to the office on a regular basis. Uh, they may need a different type of service. I was talking recently with um, a friend of ours on the show, Ben Plowden from London, and he said, you know, we may need to start looking at offering more services in the suburban areas than we've done in the past, because people right. are going to be working from home and they're going to need a midday trip to, uh, you know, pick up their dry cleaning or go to lunch and it may not fit exactly on a fixed route. Uh, and, you know, uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for transit agencies to stay in business and to stay relevant, especially when they partner with a, with a, um, the flexibility that comes from uh, public private partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Paul. Um, and, you know, I, again, I, I think one of the benefits that, that NADA has brought is just that, um, you know, securing the COVID relief funding so that they can stay relevant, they yes. can stay in business. And then as contractors, we have a responsibility to figure out, well, how can we use this money in the most efficient way by serving as many people as we can? Um, and again, uh, you know, I hate to mention it too much, but microtransit is really a way to do that. Um, it, it's, it's uh, like you said, targeting choice ridership. Um, it's also targeting you know, that one customer who, or one passenger who is at the end of a route and always travels to their grocery store or their social center every day, um, but we don't need to send a 40-foot bus out to service that person. Um, so so it's, it, it has value, um, and it, it is a, it's also, I think uh, this is a very important point, uh, it's also a way by which we keep our employees engaged and employed, um, because at this point, time, we know that the service has decreased. And some of us have been faced with uh, laying off or furloughing employees. We, of course, our preference is not to do that. Uh, employee recruitment is difficult enough without having to um, lay off folks. So by introducing a new service, micro, uh, microtransit, um, many of our customers have commented it's enabled us to keep people employed and, and working. And in, in, in that's really something that we're dedicated to. Absolutely. Well, this has been a kind of a wonderful full circle discussion, I think, about um, how you started in the private sector, how now the private sector has really molded itself even more to what the needs are. Uh, it used to be that, uh, you know, the private sector contractors, when I worked there, uh, largely almost all did paratransit work. It was the ADA paratransit. That's almost all that was available. And now there's so much more shuttles and, and other work. Uh, right. And now this new trend of microtransit, really meeting the need, being flexible and adaptable. Thank you so much, Matt, for kind of helping shine the spotlight on, uh, on, on that segment of our, of our market. Well, thank you, Paul. It, this has been a pleasure to be on your show, and uh, I really enjoyed working with you on NADA. And uh, again, thank you for what you do here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hi, this is Mike Bismarck, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute where we talk about kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes it will inspire you to pay it forward. 
Well, we continue to see agencies and their staff deliver essential service, adjust their operations, and continue to move forward during this pandemic. I just wanted to send a big shout out to all those agencies out there that are stepping up to provide transportation alternatives for those in need in the early rollout days of the vaccine. New York City, Franklin County, Ohio, and Spokane Transit, just to name a few of the many. Again, showing the importance of transit and the leadership and kindness of those providing it. Also today, as we talk about kindness, two very different stories from transit that deserve mentioning. I would like to send our thoughts out to Calgary Transit, mourning the loss of 45-year veteran bus operator, John Othan. It's not just a loss for Calgary Transit, but for all the transit and riders everywhere, who benefit from operators such as John, their commitment, continual delivery of essential transportation, and those relying on that familiar daily smile. Also this past week in Halifax, Nova Scotia, kudos to the bus operator whom assisted a police officer when they were both on the scene of a car that was upside down and on fire, smashed the windows, and hauled the driver to safety. There are opportunities for kindness everywhere, and there are heroes everywhere. Transit has many. Remember to thank your team. Kindness is cool, and thanks for listening. It's been a great episode today of Transit Unplugged Comforts Corner, where we've heard from Matt Wood, as well as Alea Carey's Great Messaging Minute, and Mike's Minute as well on kindness, and a look at headline news regarding the mask mandate here in the U.S. and some interesting news coming out of Korea. And now to take a look at the future of public transportation, uh, which is the segment we normally do at the end of our Comforts Corner episodes, which, as you know, come your way every other Wednesday. Uh, on the intervening Wednesdays, we bring you traditional Transit Unplugged long-form interviews with transit executive CEOs, and um, we're really looking forward to the next uh, the next one. You're going to enjoy next week's interview with Sir Peter Hendy, who is chair of UK Network Rail, uh, a look over into Great Britain, and then uh, two weeks later, we'll be interviewing Anne Graham, who's CEO of the, of, uh, the National Transport System in Ireland. Uh, two great interviews coming up for February. Um, now, I want to take a look at uh, an article I wrote just this week in Mass Transit Magazine and read uh, from it to you about what the future looks like, what's next for public transportation, and what I believe are three steps to get back on track. Public transportation, as you know, took a gut punch like many other industries during the peak of the pandemic. Little was known early on about the coronavirus, so uninformed leaders told passengers to stay off the bus and only essential workers uh, should use it. Disregarding the subtle, what I think are bad undertones of that message, the end result was that many suburban commuters stayed home and are still not riding the trains and buses into the city. If you take a look at some of the latest statistics from UITP and others, ridership is still down in most cities across the world with rail lower than bus. Intercity bus, light rail, and metro subway system is still much lower than pre-COVID-19 levels, with passenger revenues plunging, while, as you know, cleaning and other costs are increasing. Here in the U.S., Washington has responded with two relief packages, the most recent offering $14 billion to public transit agencies to help keep them afloat and reduce the need for draconian service cuts and layoffs that many large transit agencies were contemplating. But now what? How does public transit rebound without what many would consider an unrealistic long-term reliance on dramatically increased federal operating subsidies? Well, if you look across the uh, Atlantic to London, Transport for London, Andy Byford and the group there, 
if you looked it up on BBC this week, they're proposing all kinds of new ways to fund themselves uh, and to grow their funding. Here in the US, some transit agencies are refocusing and expanding their core mission to not only include improved mobility, other than driving alone, but also providing traffic congestion relief, a cleaner environment, and social equity. As a result, their main service offerings may be adjusted coming out of COVID. Joshua Shank, Chief Innovation Officer of the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transit Authority, recently stated on my Transit Unplugged podcast, now is the time to do the new stuff because now people are open to change. He continued that now, quote, the goal for public transit agencies is not getting more people to ride transit. That for now, that is. Routes that were eliminated during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic shutdown may not be brought back. Some agencies like Los Angeles Metro are introducing microtransit to help fill the gaps of fixed route bus service. And we heard a lot about that today in our discussion with Matt Wood uh, from National Express. Microtransit operates like a group taxi or Uber pool, but is operated either by or under contract to the transit agency. Other public transportation services that are maintaining lower than pre-pandemic commuter trains and bus routes might consider adding midday, night, and weekend service to help cultivate tourists, nightlife, and sporting event ridership into the cities. Finally, as Transport for London Director Ben Plowden told me on a recent Comfort Quarter podcast, his agency and others may now start to look at beefing up suburban areas transit services to meet the demands of riders who are working from home to take them to lunch and high local and local services in their communities. Now a look at what I call high-tech, low-touch. The American Public Transportation Association, APTA, recently surveyed its members representing most major transit systems in the U.S. about what mitigation efforts they're undertaking as a response to COVID-19. And the response to that was overwhelming. Most transit agencies are ramping up their technology and moving to low-touch solutions on their service. These solutions include moving fare payment from cash to contactless payments of credit card and smartphone app-based faring, adding on-demand applications, including common payment platforms and mobility as a service mass applications so that all the public mobility options in a city can be accessed and paid for on one smartphone app and including vehicle occupancy in their GTFS real-time data feeds to the public so they can see if a bus is already full before it gets to the bus stop. Additionally, they need to add better asset management, staffing management, back office route planning technology tools to help future-proof their agency against coming challenges. This way, drivers can check in remotely, which is low touch, and agencies can track the location of vehicles real-time, as well as better analyze potential route changes to match demand. Now look at what I'm calling green and clean. Unfortunately, early pandemic stigmatizing of public transportation as a potential source of contagion caused many people to view transit vehicles as quote, unclean. And while the studies have not borne this out, transit has always been a better way to travel when it comes to a cleaner environment. States like California have implemented zero emission bus or ZEB mandates, and other cities and states are also following suit. Getting this message out to riders that public transit is green and clean for the environment is a priority for many major transit systems and will assist in purging the, quote, transit is unclean, unquote, bad messaging that resonated early in the pandemic before many studies indicated otherwise. In order to help passengers feel safe on public transit, agencies are continuing the ramped up cleaning and sanitation programs. In addition to visible multiple cleanings of high touch areas on buses and trains, Agencies are also implementing physical distancing measures or dividers between seats 
as Metrolinx in Toronto has done for its commuter trains. Agencies also have implemented biometric measures such as temperature testing of passengers and drivers before they board. Better vehicle ventilation, misting, and UV light treatments are also all the rage now. And finally, 2021 can be a year of rebounding ridership and refocused priorities for transit services across North America and the world as agencies put in place high-tech, low-touch solutions, reformulate their brand to highlight their green and clean solutions, and only sell services that people are buying by adjusting routes to meet new levels of demand and adding new services such as microtransit and mass through partnership with private sector providers, they can be reborn from this once-in-a-generation pandemic better suited to meet the needs and meet the mobility needs of this coming decade. That's it for me. That was an article that was published this week in Mass Transit Magazine that I wrote. You can take a look at it there if you'd like online. Uh, make sure you stay tuned every Wednesday for another fresh episode of Transit Unplugged. Where we bring you in-depth interviews with the transit newsmakers around the world and also all the news that you need to know about what's happening in the latest trends in public transportation. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there.